0: And remember that we are not descended from fearful men.
1: Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Five, four,
2: three. The Kellen and Alex Show. Zero. Liftoff. We have a
0: lift off. The Kellen and Alex Show. John, how you doing, brother? Doing pretty well, again. Me and Kellen are rarely on the show at the same time. I'm like the... <laughs> Kellen Repl- replacement. I'm like the Kellen replacement. Yeah. Yep.
2: And Francesco, welcome to the podcast, brother. Thank
0: you so much. So the first
1: time being here, obviously, super stoked, as Alex is want to say. We got about a time.
2: ton of movies to get into. Yes,
1: we do. So little time, so many movies. That's we right. We should get
2: started. I mean, Batman The life, Dark Knight, Lord of the Rings, yes. Star Wars. So one of the things we wanted to start with, right? How movies impact people here at Franciscan mm-hmm. and TV shows. So you were talking about... Uh, the Mandalorian, when it came yes, out? Yes, when it
1: came out, I remember everyone was super excited to see it. We had, I remember in Jay Sarah, there was like, I think, one or two movie rooms filled with people. So not just one, but two movie rooms filled with people simultaneously just watching the episode of The Mandalorian when it came out.
2: Waiting for Baby Yoda to just appear. Yes. And just I, start screaming. Exactly. Yeah.
1: It starts screaming. And no one was expecting it. That. that was a big surprise, actually. If I'm surprised that that didn't leak, that Disney actually kept something under control.
2: So how old is Yoda then? Like, well, that's how not- old was it? So the Well, how old was it The Mandalorian? The
1: Man- so The Mandalorian is set after Yoda dies. So he's only called Baby Yoda. Here's the reason why he's called Baby Yoda. George Lucas never set a species name for Yoda's types of creatures, right? So he's only known as Yoda. And right. there's one other creature uh, in Yaddle? Star Wars episode one, Phantom Menace, who's Yaddle. But like yeah. Baby Yoda, so... Um baby I'm not sure I think he's 50 years old baby Yoda in the
0: Mandalorian.
2: Wait 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 baby Yoda isn't Yoda Yoda. I, yeah. no, no, he's no, not. no no baby Yoda, Yoda. in, the, in yeah. the
0: show it's just called the child. It is yeah. yeah. But everyone calls him baby. There's no species Yoda. name.
2: Just called the child. See the this is child. this is what I don't I don't know Mandalorian at all. I've not seen it. I stopped watching Star Wars after episode 8. Ooh. Anything okay. that came out after that I had just written off as Disney terrible garbage. Yeah. So uh, Yeah, surprisingly
1: the Mandalorian was really good it, because it wasn't in charge because the people in charge of the sequel trilogy weren't in charge of this. That's why it was good. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. It was uh, John Favreau. Uh, uh, Filoni. Was
0: uh, Filoni. Awesome. Filoni yeah, yeah. Filoni was the guy.
2: So what did you think of the sequel trilogy after, you know, the original movies, yeah, of course? I was never hyped for a
1: movie. Maybe Infinity War came close, but I was never as hyped for a movie as I was for Force Awakens when that came out. And then the nostalgia hit, just watching it, seeing the Star Wars theme for the first time. And that was like mind blown, just watching Star Wars in the movie theater for the first time. And then episode eight came out. And at first, just the twists and turns... I got involved in that really like because of Star Wars, all these twists and turns. Didn't see it coming. Didn't see Snoke dying. Spoiler alert for all those who didn't see it. Well, if, if you don't Snoke see it, died. Snoke died. What? Oh my you know? gosh! No. Spoiler yeah, alert. Died. But I don't know many people who would want to see it after the receptionist got. I remember like just being thrown <laughs> aside by all those twists and turns. And I was thinking, oh gosh, wow, that's a pretty cool. And but then afterwards, in retrospect, to see how many things it did wrong. Yeah. And I, I secretly, and well, not so secretly now admire Rise of Skywalker for trying to tie the threads together in a way that respected George Lucas's original idea, but you couldn't really do that that well after last. So I
2: didn't see Rise of Skywalker because one of the things, and this has just been a theme with Disney and John, you can comment on this too. Like they want to be pro women, but they have all their female characters have basically have all their powers fully trained right away. Mm-hmm. And this happened with Mulan as well. I don't know if you've seen the reviews for Mulan. I haven't but seen. Like, I'm
0: waiting for it to not be thirty dollars. Like, <laughs> yes. What is it? Quite later a barrier
2: thirty dollars to stream later
0: this fall? I think it's going to be on there just to watch. So yeah, I haven't seen it yet.
2: I heard it was a absolute just terrible movie and and one of the things <clears throat> we talk about is so there's a really famous scene with Mulan where uh you know she makes the decision to cut her hair and then go off with the army and it's like a really uh, poignant scene they cut that whole scene out mm. and just have her go from you know she just holds a sword and then it cuts to her going to the army to go fight and like they just took that all out all the training stuff instead of it being like she has to struggle to train mm. she's basically just a badass right away and I I found this the same with with uh, Ray Ray right? yes yeah I like episode when she goes to Luke in episode eight right for training basically all the training is you're already great just mm-hmm. figure that out right and like and then also you had Luke who's just ridiculously depressed and it's like that's the kid who is going to like defeat the Empire who's yeah. now like I mean he, he was good...
0: he was kind of whiny as a kid
1: though he was like <laughs> and it, many people compared him to Anakin Skywalker in the prequels of yeah, 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 yeah. like father like son you know, yeah so was like, <laughs> right.
2: I, I just don't get why they think it's so, uh, that's what did it for me with, with Ray too, as a character, I just, you can't connect with a character that has no struggle, no problem of training, just gets everything like perfect. And then you, you have them in different scenarios, but it's like, okay, take Luke in the original series, Mm -hmm. right? He had to go and be trained by Yoda and it was difficult. He wanted to quit multiple times. He had, you know, uh, he had to face Darth Vader, he ends up getting his hand cut off. Spoiler alert <laughs> for everyone who hasn't seen the original. Um, but he faces his father and he loses. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, that's a big loss. It, just with with the the sequels, it didn't seem like that struggle was there for no. Ray, the main character. Yes.
1: No, it wasn't. And I think actually this kind of ties back into why the question, the original question, of why here at Franciscan we... Look, see these movies and are impacted by them. There's something I think that we should get into, you know, especially when we get to Dark Knight and um, other movies, especially Dark Knight. Um, what is it about all these movies in common that really appeal to us here at Franciscan as in a Catholic culture? But with Luke, yeah, you're right. It's She didn't go through the same experience. Um, in Rise of Skywalker, they tried retconning it so she was the daughter, the granddaughter of Palpatine therefore that explains why she has so much power
2: this is news to me I have not seen oh yeah but Sorry I w- I'm not going to see it okay, because good, I've, yes. I've rejected Disney but exactly yeah
0: so that all of its works and all of its empty promises <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> be
2: gone Disney be gone be gone yeah be gone
1: so yeah they tried retconning at the last minute and it didn't work quite as well as they were hoping for it, if they hoped anything but yeah Luke Skywalker okay
2: spoil it for me please spoil it so right. Um, Granddaughter of Palpatine. A-
1: Granddaughter of Palpatine. So, actually, Man, Ben. I Ch- feel bad for his wife. <laughs> I know. It's just
2: um, Ben Shapiro. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, well, he was the wait. He was the senator. Okay, in, so he was the I think of, she is a clone. Yeah,
0: in the Elseworlds. Oh, no, oh no, 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 a clone. she's a so, daughter yeah. of a clone. In the World stuff, because they didn't bother putting it in the movie or didn't think to or whatever. It was that her father is one of Palpatine's clones because, again, spoiler yeah. alert, he's keeping himself alive through clones. So, her father was one of the clones who apparently wasn't evil. I don't know. Yeah. Like but anyway, she's Palpatine's granddaughter. Of who?
2: Palps. Palps, yeah. He's
0: cloning himself to keep himself alive.
2: Okay. I don't get how he has a granddaughter then.
0: Because one of his clones, we I don't know how. It's like quote unquote granddaughter, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Just... I don't know how this Palpatine Ooh. clone dude got out, but one of these clones was raised. father, is the reveal in Rise of Skywalker. Yeah.
2: Hmm. They beat off, you know, like. Because the problems with clones that we have is they can't reproduce. So, <laughs> yeah, there we go. He, he, he figured it out. Palpatine. Yeah, Palpatine was able to figure it out. I mean, he's, he's the, uh, dark the clone sightings. master. Well, okay. How does that tie into the prequels like Kamino cloning? Uh, they
0: don't. They don't They're explain the it. Other than oh. Oh. You know what I'm talking about though. Yeah, like, I knew Kamino I said, the has a whole
2: like cloning facility. They do. And Palpatine sh- was one of the guys who masterminded yeah. the clones being. Well, his his uh, the guy who the the Sith Lord who was you know what was it. Um... Because Plague, Plagueis, the the Plagueis, yeah, that was his yeah, yeah.
1: master. And then uh, Palpatine. So his master,
2: Plagueis, and him made the conspiracy to make this clone army, mm-hmm. make an order for a clone army, and then get the Republic eventually to use it and then turn the clones against the yeah. Republic, right? Yes. So Palpatine was in with the cloning. That's actually not a bad other story than, arc. But other
0: than the technology still existing, there's not much tied to the prequels no, that there I remember. No, is, there isn't.
1: That's one of the downfalls of Rise of Skywalker is that it didn't tie in- To the prequels at all. To pre, yep, to prequels at all. And when there's such an obvious- connection they could make to the prequels with that cloning technology um
2: they just said he's cloned stuff how do they review i don't know
0: if they even say they don't even say clone in the movie it's in the
1: novelization
0: in the (laughs) movie all they do is they're on oh is it called exegol yeah exegol yeah yeah. exegol where the where palps is crouching and raising his new army and there's like just shot they like go past a bunch of snokes in a vat which just tells you that oh it's Visually telling you Snoke was a clone, then, so you know he has clone technology. Creepy as dude. And it then, is. yeah, in the World stuff that wasn't in the movie, they mentioned, oh, the Palpatine that you see in the movie was a clone, and Ray's father was a clone. This is some and deep Star Wars lore
2: now. <laughs> it <laughs> is. Jeez. This is really getting. Into I didn't even it. correct I mean, him that there's another
0: Yoda. In Yoda's species in the Old Republic, there's another one, but that wasn't. Oh, so yeah, I, they, I forgot what his name was. Yeah, yeah, yeah There's a Jedi, but yeah. Wow. And for people who are listening who
2: have not heard Star Wars, they're like, "Snow clones what, Palpatine?" It's one of those Like, you'll find a lot of people who are like, "I, I don't know how to get into it." Look, if you've never watched Star Wars, just go watch Episode Four. Watch. And Episode 4 is the original Star Mm -hmm. Wars, guys, all right? All this other, like, crazy prequel stuff and sequel stuff is because the fans, you know, Star Wars fans are absolutely nuts, out of their mind, have nothing better to do. Exactly. I think Episode
1: 5, too, is, like, mandatory watching.
2: Episode 4 and 5. I think out of every Star Wars, Episode 5 is probably my favorite. Yes. It has basically everything, like the the opening Hoth battle yeah it's so good
1: it, it it's like amazing it's just the display of their technology at the time just the limits of what it could do everything yeah. all at once and also at the episode six if you're going to do like two out of
0: three of the original trilogy and then if you're going to watch well that go. you should
2: watch the prequel I never you watch that don't watch the sequel yes <laughs> that's the one thing limit I like,
0: still stand by Rogue One as a movie yes. Rogue One is good it is good it's,
2: it's, it's good well because it's a standalone mm-hmm. they didn't need to make it some huge you know
1: Right. And, just One. And the character, the main lead, Jin Erso, is not like Ray Skywalker. Oh, well, she actually struggles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ray, quote unquote, Skywalker. Um,
0: but yeah, she struggles. Oh, she, yeah. She struggles. You seen the memes are. with that part, right? No, I haven't seen any oh, memes. What's your name? Ray Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> Ray, Ray who?
1: Ray Skywalker. No, it's not Ray, quote unquote, Skywalker. But Jin, she actually, you know, she has a f- trauma, you I mean, a traumatic background that they show on film with her, you know, her. F- Father, you know, being her mother being killed, her father being taken back by the imps, the Imperials, and she has to go through this struggle where she's trying to find hope in the desperate times. And she finally does, and people don't trust her, and she doesn't trust other people. But in the end, the only reason why they can steal the Death Star plans is because they ultimately trust each other. And that's a clear character arc hmm. uh, for Jin Erso. Whereas Rey, it's like I'm the most powerful person there is. And there's some other underlying themes within that you're know, dealing with loss. And others, st- but there's not that mean, like Luke. Okay. That's the original point. What made Luke such a great character? And like you said, he had to train in Dagobah. He you start off as a reluctant hero, you know, just Yeah. Campbell. I was
0: about to say, if you're going to yeah. get into it, I think Lucas has been pretty clear that he was inspired by the hero of a thousand faces Yes, in yes. coming up with the original Star Wars.
2: Okay. Tell me about that. I don't know what that is. A thousand faces. A
1: thousand faces. So I, I'm trying, my memory's a little rusty. I know this is the only reason why I know this is because of the connection to Star Wars and some English, you know, high school, you know, literature uh, review, but basically here that over the centuries, you know, of humanity's existence in mythologies, we all have this archetype, these archetypes, and we just connect to these archetypes. For example, like Obi-Wan Kenobi is the archetype of the wise man, right, who brings the hero out of his shell. And we have Princess Leia who is the classic damsel in distress. Archetype and Luke, and that's the biggest one. Is the arch, you know, the archetypical, or archetypal, I should say, a reluctant hero. That their hero at first is he doesn't want to go in this journey. He just wants to stay and be comfortable. That's classic Bilbo Baggins, mm-hmm. right? Bilbo Baggins and Hobbit is the reluctant hero very clearly, and Gandalf fulfills the same role as Obi Wan does. You know, the wise man who brings him tries to bring him out. And of course, you have the Overlord. You know, I forgot what the technical name for it was like the Dark Lord the one who's opposing power you're
0: Sauron you're Darth Vader Mm -hmm. you're Palpatine later after Darth Vader is no longer the main villain
1: right Yeah. yeah so you have that and over the set I think that's one of the things we're keying in earlier what really you know inspires us to keep on engaging in these stories for example like Marvel and DC comics they're often called the modern mythology yeah because they fulfill the same archetypes as the Iliad the Odyssey the Aeneid You know, you have these superpowered beings who just exist on this planet. And And they they sort of
0: also, if we're going to go less archetypal and more Mm -hmm. within the culture itself, they also sort of give you a window into the values of the societies that make them heroes. So through the Greek myths, we can see what the Greeks thought were good through their heroes Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And I think we can do a similar thing to our superheroes. We can. They they, they reflect the societies.
1: Yes. Unfortunately, in the comics now, you could kind of see the comics reflect them more. Uh, you know, less Christian society, yes. let's just say, more secular society in the comics. You have a lot of people saying, let's represent, you know, the LGBTQ community, right? In the comic books. And or, say, oh, let's represent this um, more, you know, instead of it being like a reflection of culture's values, it's more a reflection of political values in the comics. Whereas the movies so far have done a pretty good job of staying away from that and focus more on the, Cultural values rather than... Can
0: we
2: go
1: back to the thousand something? Uh, the Hero about? of a Thousand Faces? Yes.
0: I think it was a book by Joseph Campbell. Mm-hmm. I think he might have been inspired by Jung mm-hmm. with the archetypes and all that. And it, it, it's basically... It's related to who, Campbell's ideas of the monomyth and the archetypal figures that uh, we mentioned earlier. You know, the protagonists. And it's Also, it follows like a plot structure, he, which he calls the monomyth, which I don't have memorized, but... It's like the call to action, the, yeah, the crossing the threshold, the receiving of a boon to bring back. You know all these different plot beats that we can kind of see. So he yeah. took that
2: from I- Jung. Now, how does a uh, thousand year influence Luke?
0: I think, or I think George Lucas was explicitly influenced by Joseph Campbell's work when he okay. was. I think Lucas has mentioned it. Yeah, like had, the main mistaken. hero
2: really inspired. Luke, no, it, it wasn't it was a
0: main hero. He was writing about the monomyth and yeah. these different archetypes oh, oh, that he was this seeing. Isn't a novel or anything. No, 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 no? It was oh, yes. Joseph
2: Campbell's a, what a like a like philosopher or psychologist or, or
0: something like that. Yeah. I don't yeah. know okay. exactly what he is, but
2: yeah. And he was let's say interpreting Jung's archety- archetypes, or he was.
0: It, I think he was influenced by Jung stuff in and his discoveries is what he called the monomyth and these patterns he saw throughout stories throughout all history. Because I know
2: Jung's, I mean, huge on archetypes. He wrote wrote the book uh, Man and His Symbols. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. um, it's all about the symbolic. Uh, yeah. And so Campbell Campbell comes after Jung, right? Like, yeah, a good bit. Yeah, after Jung, mm-hmm. I have no idea. I'm not sure what the timeline is. Yeah, like yeah. That. Um, and then. Lucas was influenced by Campbell and the stories, uh, or or his work on archetypes, characters.
0: Yes, um, one of the mythical stories. One of the many many influences that went into the original Star Wars.
1: Yes. Oh, there's so many. There was the westerns. There was uh, the like samurai the Buck films. Buck Rogers style yeah. space adventures. Exactly. Buck Ro- And you also had the Seven Samurai. No, I was just saying Akira Kurosawa's, Akira Kurosawa's oh, work. Oh, uh, yeah. Hidden, Hidden fortress. Hidden fortress. Not Seven, yes. samurai. Seven Samurai. That's Magnificent Seven. Yeah. yeah Hidden uh, fortress, fortress. Star Wars. Okay. Yeah. yeah that's right.
2: These, those are samurai films? Yes, yes they were samurai okay.
0: films. Uh, the name Jedi, some people speculate, might come from the genre Jedi Genkai, which Ooh. is a Japanese genre, which is basically historical Edo. Edo, is that right? Don't. I'm not sure. Any oh, Jap- wow, that's but just, historical yeah. samurai era Japanese films. And Lucas, another thing that he has gone on record of liking is Akira Kurosawa's movies. Hmm. And some people have drawn a connection between the plot of uh, Hidden Fortress and Star Wars so and you can kind of see influences of westerns and samurai films. in oh, yeah, totally Star Wars so as well. Little, yeah, oh, it's like a the classic setting
2: of you know Tatooine like yeah, yeah. yeah t- total western yeah. style. Western classic. Clint- you go to a saloon. Yeah. You know, that's kind of the first the, the galactic saloon. Yeah. Okay. And get beat so up. Tell, okay, if you go on Wikipedia, doesn't it says Star Wars is a galactic soap opera? Isn't that what they classified it? Uh, like space opera is a genre. Space opera. Yeah. Space, space
1: opera. opera okay. Yeah. Not and-
2: soap. Not soap opera. Not soap opera. Oh, yeah. Space <laughs> opera. I, space opera. Got yeah, it. Space Sorry, opera. Because I, I think it falls
0: under fantasy more than it does science fiction. That's how I like mentally categorize Star Wars. Because I think sci fi usually tries to incorporate a sci fi conceit more into it. Yeah. For Star, Star Wars. Star Wars doesn't bother trying to make lightsabers make sense. They're, they're cool laser swords. Right. And, and the force isn't science. It's a magical, sort of spiritual thing. Yeah. So. Magical. Yeah. Power. Just. Yeah. It's
2: crazy there. just how, like, how many different influences themes whatever came into just making that star wars i mean yeah. like like you were talking about the japanese influences with samurais obviously the the jedi stuff yes uh the force um westerns like it's it's so crazy like how many influences came to make and then they marry together and make a completely very compelling universe like it does, that, that it really does everyone yeah. just can like hop into um i know the the sequels were more explicitly like um had like the the Hitler Nazi influences with the the what is it first, first order first like order yes
1: that. yes yeah I mean
2: uh, they they throw literally the kitchen sink at you with Star Wars and the universe because like all these influences and then they make it meld into um, like the prequels have a lot of Roman it does like elements. the Senate you know the Senate, the yeah. Senate you have that type of politics yeah. right if you look at the way that the clones are organized it, it seems like legions and mm. like Roman legions. Um, you have this notion of, uh, like, like Palpatine only takes over right, when he, when has, he to, has to, which Class. is a very Roman classic. Yes. Um, what was it? Cincinnatus or something like that? Well, that's the one, no, uh, what, what do they call it? The, the councils, right? Yeah. The consuls, And then yeah. they would, I think Cincinnati was the one I think I could be
1: wrong. I'm not a historian of any sort. Yeah. I think he was the one who was chosen. Okay. You're going to be the dictator. Like, for now, the lead armies. And then once the battle was over, once the skirmish was over, he went back to farming. Like, he was a farmer. Exactly. And then he went yeah. back to farming. Yeah, yeah. He just, that was the first person to, one of the most famous examples of someone laying down the power when he had it.
0: And then Palpatine would be a Julius Caesar of sorts. Oh, right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, Caesar did kind of orchestrate his own rise to power, but Palp's even more than... Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> he literally he laying- goes off by uh, by murdering your enemies, you know? And that's, uh, well, wait a second. Julius Caesar got murdered. <laughs> yeah. <Julius Caesar. laughs> Wait, but uh, he did. Okay. Anyways, but there was the scene right when when they tried to murder Palpatine.
1: Right. It was a uh, Mace
2: Windu. Kick, 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 <laughs> so, like when yeah. all they come in when were, the old Republic dies and then the Empire enters. Yes. in. Like that's very I am Roman. the Senate. Did that famous scene. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. Definitely. <laughs> um. <I'm> spinning. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I. Okay. I grew up more on the prequels than I did on the original series yeah that I mean maybe that's one of our generation well it's
0: just when we were born yeah they were were, coming out when we were young
1: because Clone Wars was coming out in I think 2008 Clone Wars came out that was directly influenced by the prequels so that was just saturated
2: how long did that TV series go (laughs) <laughs> till like it this went, year.
0: Yeah, it was on and <laughs> no off. Way. It went like five seasons, then they got a sixth season on Netflix yeah. and then like a seventh season on, on Disney, Disney Plus. And that was- And they finally got to wrap it up. Geez. Yeah, it took a long time. But there were some time. gaps between the last season on Netflix and the Disney Plus yeah. final season. A gap of six years, I think. Yeah.
1: 2014 on Netflix, now, like earlier this year for the last season on Disney Plus. So
2: hmm. that was- and- Okay, so that was- yeah, so that was a long... And, and they had their whole universe and characters and their own thing and their yeah, own they had story. It built,
1: so it was built off the prequels. It was sp- yeah. spun off the prequels, but they developed their own relationships. Like, it was new. Like, you develop the ones that were shown in the prequels. It also gave more emotions to the clones. So, that we say, okay, here's when the clones... For example, if you just watched episode two and go straight into Revenge of the Sith. The clones really aren't even that present. Exactly. Like they're just there. And you kind of say, obviously, duh, they're going to portray the Jedi. That's why they're set up. They're just
0: like the good guy droids.
1: Exactly. There's nothing personal about them. But in Clone Wars, they give each clone a personality. Hmm. And then when Order Six and there's a I don't want to spoil it. This is definitely because it's an actual good show. Um, When it finally intersects with Order 66 in the last season. You actually have an emotional stake in the clones. And if you watch Revenge of the Sith now with that in mind, especially since there's one minor clone character oh. in Revenge of the Sith, Cody. Cody. I, I was Commander about to Cody. say Cody's shooting
0: yeah. at Obi-Wan. Yes,
1: Cody. That makes a that's much deeper impact after you watch Clone Wars. Because it? It, it's literally like two seconds
0: like, shoot him! Yes. <laughs> no, Isn't yeah. uh, Obi-Wan Cody's commanding officer in the Yeah, show?
1: Obi-Wan was the general. Yeah. He, he was in charge of the 212th. Um, and Cody was in the commander, you know, the 212th. So
2: look at us nerds. We know yeah, so much. Know so, star much. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> so the PDP too, you guys know, I, whenever I was in J Sarah, like I would always see PDP guys watching, uh, watching clone wars.
1: Yeah, they would, they, uh, they love it. I mean, I'm the RA on their wing now. Mm-hmm. And like, I just recently, I saw them all just like watching star wars movies and watching the clone wars. And it's like, Oh wow. That's, that's awesome. I mean, It's just being part like those guys, I didn't know
2: they had that many seasons like six or seven.
1: Seven, yeah, they do. It's
2: that's a lot, and then they also have like the spinoff novels. Mm-hmm. Like, they, I mean, and that just goes to show you like the brilliance of George Lucas to make such a universe that you can literally put any characters have spinoff movies like Rogue One that are the, super compelling. That all really the video amazing, games that makes sense. The comics, oh my gosh, the video yes, games. you wonder why. Disney bought them, bought, bought it from George Lucas for like how much? Like four billion dollars. No, he didn't. Four Shut billion up. dollars. Yep. Four four
1: billion, billion dollars. Fat
2: stack of change.
1: I, that I think that's like either like the same as or a little bit more than when they paid for Marvel.
0: Four billion. Yeah. It's one of the most so lucrative. Let the air
2: get out of the room for a second. Four billion. I mean, it's
0: one of the most lucrative properties in the world. It is. It
2: lucrative.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh oh. I mean, I think it's under Pokemon, but Pokemon's ridiculous.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Just like you have to saturate, like people have to go in the poop. Well, had to, and I think it's pretty much obsolete. Someone's oh, like Pokemon. Well, so okay. oh, not the the Japanese Pokemon, Japanese itself, Pokemon Go. But. I meant oh, to yeah. say, Oh, Pokemon, Pokemon Go. go. Pokemon's still there. I don't, no offense to Pokemon fans, but I'm saying Pokemon Go. I'm not sure if it was a big phenomenon now as it was then, you know.
2: So let's know. take the prequels for a second. Let's, let's try and we'll stick on one topic for just a second. Yes, with the prequels. Um, so we grew up on them, uh, for. For me, it was just fantastic and I loved it. Nowadays, everyone hates on it a lot. Yeah. And like everyone's just like the prequels are cringe. Actually,
0: I think there's a bit of a change. I there's think, a bit of resurgence. <clears throat> yeah. I think when the prequels came out, well, the kids like might have liked it because kids have no taste anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the original trilogy fans and people who grew up with that didn't like them, is my impression. Because they had a bad rep for a long time. And my theory is what's happening now. Cause a lot of those kids are growing up, and now they're the loud voice on the internet, and they are, and they grew up with these, and they like them more. So mm-hmm. I think there's like a generational divide. Yes, definitely. There, what, yeah. I mean, you're growing up was, on it, it was yeah.
2: like for me, it was everything. I was just like I watched, uh, you know, one, two, and well, I mostly just three. Yeah, two oh, two three. Three, oh, three is just like a masterpiece in my opinion. It for, is. It really um, memes aside, and once again, like let's just talk about like how it plotted out the story. Um, That opening of three, right? You always have the Star Wars scroll, but then it opens up with you know this shot of the you know the sun, and then there's this huge battleship, right, passing over it. Oh, and then um, and then you have the two fighter pilots, which are Anakin and Obi Wan, you know, just flying in, swooping, yes, super cool. It like pans in really close to it, and then the of course, I think out of all the music out of Star Wars, Episode Three for me has the most just crazy awesome music it that does, I'll like, go back and listen to. Yeah. Obviously, Duel of Fates, which for me is like, I mean, that's, that's probably, that's gotta be my favorite. Yeah. Out of every, any it, Star Wars music, mm. Duel of Fates probably takes it for me. Um, but even that opening, um, General Grievous' theme fits him so well. Um, you know, the, just the music, the music for me. And and then that opening scene where you have this huge battle, it, it's reminiscent of how like five gets plotted out, yeah, right? Because it is. Five starts in the middle of a battle, uh, which is well, yeah, kind of, yeah, kind with, with of sort of, yeah, yeah. Hoth yeah. like leads us off of the battle, right? right? Um, yeah, and three does as well. It starts off with this big battle, and then they get Palpatine, they rescue him, they go back. There's kind of like a rest period where mm-hmm. they're yeah. kind of talking with Palpatine, like, um, no, I, I think three, uh, three maybe. Right after five, I think three is probably my second. Favorite. Yeah, I, I would say even I would go so far as to say, with the memes added on top
1: of it, you know, just yeah. making all the meme reference, like it's my well, favorite absolutely. That's part pop- of the Star Wars. That plays well.
0: a big factor into why I like Episode Three a lot. Hmm. I mean, there's other stuff besides that, but how memed it is definitely helps. Yes,
1: it does help. So it's like it. The only reason why it edges out Empire Strikes Back is because of
2: that. For me, at least, it's like. Well, if we're gonna talk three, if we're gonna talk the prequels, we gotta talk Hayden Christensen. Oof. Okay, when.
0: When what? I watch them, it's outrageous. Still, That's not it's fair. A, it's not
2: fair. <laughs> I loved his character when I was a kid. I didn't think any cringy voice acting. It's only now that we're older we That's really what I like, said, care about this Kids stuff. liked
0: it because they have no taste. They don't know That's what good true. acting yes. is. <laughs>
2: That's true. Yeah. And he, now we're, now us, you know, oldies, we're coarse. We're rough. We get every, we hate we're, irritating. We're, irritating. we're irritating. We get everywhere. And we're we everywhere. Get everywhere. <laughs> no, we get everywhere.
0: <laughs> okay, so yeah, he, his his delivery is not great in those movies, and his dialogue is also not great. Even going back to the original trilogy, though, character dialogue is not George Lucas' strong suit. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, that's why Empire True. Strikes Back had probably the best dialogue and acting because it wasn't George Lucas wasn't George Lucas directing or writing. It was Lawrence Kasdan, I think, was the one so. who wrote the script, and Ivan Kirshner was the one mm-hmm. who directed it. And mm-hmm. that's why it's probably the most aesthetically best like Star Wars movie, uh, just in general, like technical terms with acting and plot structure and dialogue. It's the best Star Wars. Whereas in episode four, there's some stilted dialogue, um, some somewhat in there. Like yeah. I think George Lucas's wife was the editor and she cut out a lot of dialogue <laughs> that didn't make sense. Oh,
0: and didn't he, hadn't he divorced her going into the prequels?
1: I, th- I think it was either, was it sometime after six or before? I
0: don't six? know. I forgot. I don't, I don't know. know.
2: <laughs> and the retribution just, he added from- the Anakin killing the younglings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. By the way, don't don't watch that scene. It's terrible. Uh, no, it's anyways. Yeah. So, spoiler alert: Anakin kills. Also, the
0: younglings. just interjecting here, I looked up the Wikipedia list: Star Wars fifth most lucrative, uh, or fifth most highest grossing media franchise. Oh wow! Of all time, number one is oh Pokemon.
1: Oh, of course, Pokemon. Wow.
0: Hello Kitty. There's so much merch. Yeah.
1: Hello Kitty after Pokemon. And then Winnie
0: the Pooh, Mickey Mouse, and then it's Star Wars. Oh wow.
1: So not even Marvel
0: has topped it yet. No. Wow. A, a lot of the, those Japanese franchises are huge. Oh, I bet. like yeah, Pokemon, they are. Hello Kitty, uh, the Shonen Jump manga. On Pond Man is huge. Wow. And he's not even like a thing in the West. Yeah, I know. It's like it's it's
1: so funny because I Wait, who's not a thing in the West? On Pond yeah. Man. I don't never know who's One Punch
0: Man's name is actually a pseudo parody of it, but uh, yeah, literally. it's, we don't know about it, but it's a top 10, I think, highest grossing media franchise in the world. What? It's huge in Japan. Wow. That's
1: insane. I mean, I think too, the only reason why Star Wars is prevented from going near the top is because I think internationally in China and Japan doesn't do that well. Yeah. I think I've heard
0: that it's just not yeah. as big
1: a deal in the East. For some reason, it's not, not even it's funny you know have samurai influences and it's yeah. not that big of a deal yeah, in the yeah. East, which is weird. It
2: still feels very Western, you know? It
1: does. It um, does.
2: I don't mean Western, Western, but like West. Um, Yeah, no, three. uh, Okay. For all the Hayden Christensen hate, there's so much more Ewan McGregor love. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Out of. He killed it with Obi Wan. Like the reason why I love Obi Wan as a character so much, like Alec Baldwin, fantastic. His performance in. Alec Guinness, I think. Or Guinness. Not not Baldwin. Damn. Baldwin is Something completely different. Yeah. Um, Wait, he's the.
1: He's a guy that imitates Trump on SNL oh, now, now. Right.
0: Yeah. And that's he's a. Alec actor. Guinness. Yeah. You know, Alec. Forgive me. Also um, an actor, though, Alec Baldwin.
2: But uh, yeah, no, fantastic. But Ewan McGregor in one, two, and three. Yes. I mean, just killed it. Um, and he makes it. He he took so many um, things from Alec Guinness.
0: I think he like kind of imitates uses his vocal pattern. Yeah, he did. uses
2: the vocal pattern. His the you know. physical. Isn't ex, he like
0: I Irish think, or Scottish? You and McGregor?
2: I think. And he had to do an English, exactly. He kills it. He does. And uh, and out of everyone who's progressing in the story, right? I mean, Anakin enters in kind of mid to late through Episode One, and he's as a, as a kid, right? right? Yeah. So you get to grow with Anakin throughout it, but I think one of the coolest things is watching Obi Wan continue, yeah, as going it is. from an apprentice who sees his master get killed in Episode One to seeing him in Episode Two have a a young and mm. very very volatile yeah. Padawan apprentice, yeah. ap- apprentice hormones raging, you know, just- <laughs> yeah, exactly, just. Um, who, you know, does stupid stuff like, mm-hmm. you know, he, he takes him on the mission in episode two and they're trying to get this uh, assassin and then he just like jumps off a, yeah, the, jumps the, off the, off the off Yeah, off building, yeah. Off a building, tries to find stuff. Like and, what, 3,000 floors yeah. up or something. And he's like, always on the move. Yes. <laughs> and all those type of lines. And Obi-Wan's trying to figure out how to deal with that. he And of course, he's, you know, experiencing things as they're coming along as well and he's the one that goes to Kamino mm. and has to deal with that. Anakin has his big scene where he goes and um, you know, that's an episode two where his mother dies, right? Yes, that is, which is huge. Um, and then yeah, and then episode three, he's in the midst of war and mm-hmm. he has to deal with all the you know, Anakin now is starting to get away from him and towards Palpatine, mm-hmm. which is like he's switching masters, he's betraying yeah. Obi-Wan, and it always it climaxes with that big betrayal when yeah they finally confront each other and um and then Duel of Fates, you know, plays in the background.
1: Battle of the Heroes, I think is, and then like they had the Mustafar theme, the Battle of the Heroes theme, but then it switches into Duel of the Fates, which is a really cool transition. Hmm. Um, if you watch it again, there's at one point where you hear the, you know, more bombastic orchestral, like, Hero, dual, um, Battle of the Heroes, I think it's called. And if you listen to it on the, um, you know, on the album on Spotify or something, you could just like listen to it. Oh yeah, that's a really cool theme, but then it transitions into Duel of the Fates. And it's okay, now that- ties in episode one to episode three. Yeah. But there's another um, subject to talk about. So we talked about Luke's development. We're kind of leaving Ray out with development here because there's not much, but we're talking about Luke Skywalker's development or talk about Anakin Skywalker's development. And there's, it's almost like a parallel, but a reverse parallel yeah. where Anakin starts out as the chosen one and then devolves into, you know, he, he, it's a interesting. as a failed prophecy narrative is very
0: rare to find, I think, in any popular cinema. I'm trying to think actually it. though I've seen it pointed out that ultimately who knows if it was on purpose or not but in uh shoot the last one return of the jedi yes. the one who throws palpatine down the pit is anakin is anakin yes. not luke yes so ultimately it was
1: yeah it gets yeah, satisfied yeah. in the end but when you have like the prequel trilogy just taken, yeah. like encapsulated in itself, that's a really good point because that's what ultimately I think connects the two trilogies together is I think that there the are prophecy s- does get There are
0: some, are some disunities that happen because Lucas didn't plan it out that right, much before. Right. And we're like, the ages are kind of weird. And the picture of Anakin you get from the uh, original trilogy mm-hmm. isn't the whiny dude you get in the prequels. Right?
1: No, it, it's not. Yeah. Yet. But
0: so there are some things where it's clear he didn't have a clear picture and I, hadn't planned yeah. it all out. But- there is that what you were there saying.
1: There is that like anti, not how it weird. I don't know if this is even a word an anti-parallel sort of thing between yeah. Luke and Darth Vader because Luke starts out as a nobody and then he becomes a chosen one. There's no previous prophecy attached to Luke. He's just a nobody in desert planet. All of a sudden, oh shoot, I'm the son of Darth Vader, right? And then I have to become a Jedi and convert my father. So there's that. There's an, like that anti-parallel. There's two parallels that Darth Vader goes, Anakin Skywalker goes downwards. Luke Skywalker goes upwards, mm. and then Luke Skywalker's going upwards. You know, going into like the light side of the forest, you know, learning the path of uh, rejecting the dark side. Ultimately is able to save his own father who had gone down the opposite path in the prequels. Hmm. And that's what really makes it just a satisfying story in the
2: end. Anakin's the chosen one who it doesn't, you know, into becoming the evil one. Yeah. Yeah. And which then it's very interesting.
1: It is. And then ultimately he does, it uh, does fulfill the prophecy, which is really interesting.
2: Yeah. In the end, in episode, yeah, yeah in episode six, um, and it makes you wonder, I think that was a great point about like Darth Vader and you know the fact that Darth Vader in the four four and five and in six, super stoic, no emotions, very gets angry. Um, but like connecting that with the you know the kid in episode no, three, you no, must have even, think there was a yeah. ton of time in between that. And if you want to make like a connection and not just say, well, it was, you know, um, I mean, maybe just years and years of, you know, him being Darth Vader, what I was, literally nothing to live for. What I was referencing him, though,
0: like, is so, when you know. Obi-Wan is telling Luke about his father and about the Clone Wars, the picture you get of Anakin is this grand warrior and, you know, great Jedi Knight, right. which I don't think he ever quite achieves, at least in the movies. I hear the Clone, the Clone Wars, Wars does it better.
1: I can t- I've can. watched the Clone Wars, so I can I testify have to it. it. Yeah. Oh yeah. I can testify that at one point near the later seasons- when Anakin starts going down the dark side, that is Darth Vader, you see. That's not whiny Anakin. You can legitimately see the Clone Wars Anakin become Darth Vader in the original trilogy. And that's because they switched out the voice actor. The voice actor, oh, yeah? Matthew Lanter is his name. And he does a great job because he's able to have a light heart. He has a deeper voice than Hayden Christensen does. So he is a very commanding presence. He can also become, like in earlier seasons, he can kind of, he, he's still young, so he can have that young voice. But later on, when the season progresses, he deepens his voice. He You can tell like the dark side can easily slip into it and becomes very convincing very
0: fast. And if we want to get back into symbolism, though, just for a second, I love it's Mustafar, right? Where Obi-Wan and yes. Anakin fight. Yeah. Just the symbolism of them on this hellish scape. Anakin has fallen from grace and he's down. Mm. And they're literally like, it's like he's fallen into hell. You know, he's, and he's embracing the dark side. they're literally fighting in this place with lava everywhere. There's one side or one part when they are first confronting each other where the framing of the shot, I believe is, you see Anakin standing there and Obi-Wan is behind him off his shoulder, almost like a shoulder angel trying to convince him, you know, that he's wrong. You know, the scene with, well, then you are lost and all that. So the shot is Anakin is in this hellish place where he's gone. And then on his shoulder, like a shoulder angel or a conscious, you have Obi Wan still trying to bring him back.
1: Yeah, there's one interesting point in here, too. And it's something my dad brought up actually to me. And he, like, when I was a little kid, and then I always, it always stuck in my mind. When Anakin's force choking Padme, right? You have Obi Wan say, let her go. Yeah. And he lets go. And it's interesting. It's like, wait, time out. He's supposed to have totally lost trust in his master. And he's supposed to totally have, you know, to reject the Jedi Order. But when Obi Wan tells him to let go of Padme, he does, which is a very interesting thing. Like, he still has that, like, ultimately, I think deep down inside, that sort of obedience to his master, like, over the years, you can't easily break that, right? Mm. Um, even though Anakin says, I hate you, you know, throughout, you know, famous, I hate you, you know, line. Um, and as of the high ground scene, he still has that obedient, like that sort of, okay, let go of Padme because he realizes it's doing nothing at that moment.
2: That inner conflict is still there, even if it's deep, deep down inside. So, yeah. I think they do a good job of showing like, okay, that final scene where Obi-Wan and Anakin leave for the last time until they reunite, right? Uh, Obi-Wan's going to go off to Uda yeah. Powell, right? Right. To go find General Revis. They exchange, you know, like... Uh, Anakin apologizes. That's mm. how he starts it, right? I haven't lived up to your expectations. I'm just so frustrated yes. with the Jedi Council. And then Obi-Wan says, you know, I've seen you throughout the years and, you know, I'm proud of you and that type mm. of stuff. And it's a very nice moment. And then the last scene is Anakin, like, looks down and then he looks up with the with kind of just pained look because... There's so much turmoil that he mm. hasn't told Obi-Wan. Yeah. And one of the biggest things is he hasn't told Obi-Wan about Padme. And, and the he, fact that she's pregnant.
0: And he and, had the vision that she was going to die.
2: Yeah, yes. And that, yes. So even though he makes his apology, he really should be apologizing and then telling him,
0: like, yeah, right. Here's what
2: happened. Here's what th- happened. What do I do? Yeah, but he keeps that to himself, and that's eating at him the whole time. And, and that's
0: what Palpatine uses to manipulate he, him Is manipulates that. And what's interesting, though, in
1: the last season of Clone Wars, this isn't a major spoiler or even a minor one, I don't think. In the last season of Clone Wars, they hint that Obi-Wan knew about Padme the entire time.
2: I mean, you got to think he probably did, all right?
1: Yeah. And it's just that that makes that scene in episode three a little bit more poignant because Obi-Wan knows there's something going on between these two Anakin and Padme. And it's it's in the back of his mind, yeah.
2: That probably puts you know, a new light on Obi-Wan too, that he wasn't willing to confront Anakin on this.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's like, just deepens the character. It's because Obi-Wan was with
0: Satine. Let's be honest. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Obi-Wan, that's just, yeah, that was whew, a whole nother arc.
2: Obi-Wan was what? I didn't hear you.
0: Not officially. Not officially. Was, but, what? No, it it, was what? No, It's just like a fan joke. He's really close with the Duchess of Mandalore Satine. Right. In yeah, in the I have Clone no Wars idea who that in the Clone. Is. Wars. Oh, it's oh okay.
1: season 2 like goes into season 5, resolves in season 5, but basically he was really close to her. It could have easily become an Anakin Padmé situation. I won't spoil it like for those who haven't watched it, but basically the way it ends, it's that the decision I think because he's always a stoic character, he doesn't decide to pursue it like Anakin decided to pursue Padmé, but Eventually, it gets ripped away from him any choice whatsoever. And I don't want to spoil it how it happens. She dies. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, so, it yeah. Rhymes I'm not going to guess that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm probably not going to watch. It rhymes with
0: Garth Paul.
2: Garth Paul? <laughs> Chris Paul? Oh, okay. No, 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 no. <laughs> uh, wait, Darth Maul? What?
0: You don't know about Maul? No. He, oh, come, uh, he comes back in Clone Wars, yeah. Yeah. And he hates Obi-Wan. Okay, I may not be a
2: doctor, but if you're cut in half- look.
0: Y'all don't need legs to live. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, did they do? Oh, they gave him new legs. Got it. Yes, Let's and and this.
0: there is uh, you don't have to be a doctor, but he was kind of brought back by witches. So yeah, so that's, there's <laughs> that's a Star Wars funny. fantasy aspect. Of yes. This. Okay. <laughs> so they there weren't medical right, doctors. Right, we're like four uh, times removed
2: from our original. Okay. Yes. All right, Obi Wan and Anakin. That scene for me. Uh, sticking to the prequels. Uh, yeah. And then Obi-Wan leaves. Pal has his whole thing. And then it's, you know, it's the master and his apprentice, but completely separate, mm-hmm. right? And the new master steps in to take over Anakin, right? Because he knows yes. Obi-Wan's gone, right? And that was probably the fatal flaw, right, of the Jedi Council saying, well, we need to keep an eye on him, on him here. Right. But he stays in the most corrupt place, which is the Jedi Council and the, the mm-hmm. Senate and Palpatine. So they said, we need to keep an eye on him, but that's exactly what they don't do. And uh, he would have been far better off fighting General Grievous. Yeah, that's right. Think about that, right? mm -hmm. So all the events, too. I mean, it makes you wonder how long it took Obi-Wan to get to Utapalan in the battle and stuff. Because, you know, it goes from Obi-Wan leaves, Anakin has his conversation with the Palpatine, to Commander Cody stuff where he's killing Obi-Wan. So a lot of must happen in between. Yeah. Um, But, yeah. And there's also... The failure of the Jedi Council to predict any of this, the failure of them to understand Anakin, the failure of them to figure out a way to deal with Anakin and understand him like Obi-Wan does. And like Qui-Gon did did back in episode one, right? Because Qui-Gon was very supportive of Anakin. Right. And uh, wanted to have him as his apprentice, mm-hmm. right? But they didn't want that. They wanted to give him to Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan had always looked quigon Qui-Gon as being the most, you know, and Qui-Gon always, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but had a very difficult relationship yeah, with the Jedi Council, right? Because he understood there was, you know, uh, I don't know, like corruption, bad decision making, like unilateral. It seemed like whatever Yoda or Mace Windu said- Everyone was just like, yeah, that's what it is.
1: Right. And then Qui-Gon was like, no, this this is not a chosen one. we need, This could be the chosen one. We need to bring him in no matter what.
2: Yeah, he and, was kind yes. of, was like the wild one of the, the council. He, he
1: was, was on
0: the council, right?
1: I don't think he was. Really? Was I think that's the master? reason why he was denied. <laughs>
0: I don't know if he was or not.
1: I, don't, I think that's the reason why he was denied a seat on the council is because of that. I think they mentioned in episode one. obi uh, really? says, you were denied a seat on the council because you didn't obey them. All right. <laughs> I mean, uh, of your rebellious nature. we want to move that's on to the, the archetype
2: rings, of, uh I, I want to stick on prequels I for mean, a little bit. That's okay. So no, I know, I know. But yeah, I, yeah. I think it's good we we stick on one for a little bit. Um oh, yeah. but it's it's interesting another archetype of like the old wise council, which mm-hmm. really isn't that wise and it is kind of like corrupt or right. has been corrupted or is just kind of stuck and is not um is not understanding of what's going on around mm-hmm. them. I mean yeah. because they seem to be their own kind of thing, right? They don't understand like this army situation is a really bad decision. Mm-hmm. They, they do seem to understand that Palpatine is suspicious, but they don't do anything concrete. They try and spy on him, right. which fire backfires on them massively.
0: Well, their own, like, uh, subterfuge, I don't know if that's the right word, but their own sort of underhanded motives Palpatine uses against them with Anakin, because he's like, look at it they want you to spy on me. Mm,
2: exactly. They And, and, and Palpatine just them? points out, corruption that's already there yeah
0: it's, it's not like a
1: made-up corruption this is no. legitimately something so that's why i think Ooh, and the clone was cad bane he's a famous bounty hunter he says basically the best lie always has a part of the truth in it yeah, and that's exactly what chance palpatine did the best that he had it did have part of the truth the jedi council war was corrupt but the dark side was no answer to that corruption yeah.
2: exactly yeah it's yeah best lies are half truths I yes mean, that's that's, it, the, that's, that's, thing, that's yeah. the one that's the one yeah yeah best lies are half truths yeah and, uh, yeah, and the Jedi Council did not see any of it. And Palpatine was able to do his whole thing, um, you know, and, and De- Darth Jar Jar could have stopped him, but it <laughs> didn't did. happen. Uh, yeah, and they kind of like sent Jar Jar to the nether regions for like the, the yeah, last Yeah, If you notice,
0: uh, episode three has very little Jar Jar in it.
2: Yeah, like, I think it's like <laughs> one, one shot of him walking exactly. the funeral. Yeah. That's it, yeah. <laughs> No, you know what's funny too? Like they interviewed the other actors and stuff and they thought Jar Jar was hilarious when they were filming on Yeah, they did. I don't know what happened when it translated over. It's just
0: just annoying.
2: Yeah, I know. It's just annoying. Yeah, yeah. George Lucas humor is not everyone else's humor. (laughs) Not at all. Not at all. It's crazy how like we make fun of George Lucas as being out of touch and yet he meant the most like popular thing ever. But like there's some times where you're like, look, the dialogue's so weird. All right, George Lucas. And some prequel stuff. And (laughs) Yeah. uh, yeah, no, the prequels... Episode three, I think, uh, barring the jokes about how Hayden Christensen's acting is so bad in the prequels, yeah, I love them. I think yeah, they're really a complete story. It's amazing. And, uh, and
1: a couple of topics came up actually while thinking about this, like just hearing it. So we have I, a friend and I were discussing a little while ago, the metaphysics, the difference of the metaphysics between Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. So we could go down that direction. Which is really interesting how that differs, or we can go down Dark Knight path. I think that was mentioned earlier. Let's go to Star Wars and
2: and Lord of the Rings. Maybe we'll get Dark Knight as our last part. Okay, yeah, Dark Knight. Yeah, moral implications of Dark Knight, and
1: because I had a, ooh, did You're good. Okay, good. Yeah, um, I almost uh, hit the dongle there for those of you who are listening (laughs) Uh on MacBook Pro. The MacBook Pro, yeah, almost like. So if you can't hear this, this is is the light
2: side. The you know the Macintosh, sorry, the uh, Microsoft world, dark dark side. Oh yeah, Mac. uh,
1: Mac Anyways, there. Anyways. Uh, but so, for and we were discussing, all right, in Star Wars, and, and this is really interesting because it all comes down to interpretation, whether the force is a based on Gnosticism or not. Because George Lucas, I think, explicitly said that the way the force is balanced is if the light side takes over. Which is really? Did he say I that? I think he said because that. Because one, one of point.
0: the critiques I've heard of Star Wars, and I personally have, is that there seems to be a sort of Gnostic problem or a Manichaean problem. There is. Where there's always dark and always light and they're in constant conflict for for eternity. Yes.
1: So I'm wondering, I'm not sure how accurate that is. I believe I... Saw it in a source saying that's what George
0: Lucas said yeah. that the light side resolves everything. Well, which, which is how Disney ended the last one. They did, they did. So and they they literally had the archetype. I am the Sith. Well, I am the Jedi. And right, then, and then the embodiment of all the Jedi or all that is good defeats the embodiment of all oh, that is evil. evil. Yes. Which is a part I actually liked about that. that, movie. that, that Bryce, that's it's. It sort of got lost in
1: the mire of episode eight, and it's sad because it could have done something great if they had planned the sequel. Yeah, if we're gonna
0: talk about so, disunity, there was no planning on the Disney no, trilogy
1: whatsoever. No, not what yes. they just recently admitted. It. I think yeah. Daisy
0: Ridley uh, admitted recently. Yep, they had no plan. Well, it was two different filmmakers with two different visions. Mm. that were given movies. So like JJ did his thing, set his thing up. Ryan Johnson said, well, I'm going to do my own thing. Literally I'm throwing the end of your movie yeah, over was... my shoulder and going to do my own thing. <laughs> <Yes>. Then the <laughs> last movie is JJ going, Oh no, people didn't like that. I need to give them something, you know, right. well, bring it back bring, yeah, it back, bring it back. Yeah, <laughs> bring it back. And they couldn't do that. Yeah. So I
1: think that changes whether or not. So let's assume for now the Gnostic difference and leave the light side resolve yeah, thing everything yeah. to speculation. Cause that's what everyone thinks of the most. So we have, okay, there's a light side, a dark side, equally opposing forces that must resolve in balance. And then you have Lord of the Rings and Silmarillion, mm-hmm. uh, which is where darkness, the evil comes in as a corruption of what was good. Yes. So in the beginning of the Silmarillion, so I think of the Anya Underlay, right? Do you have the... I have the Silmarillion right here. So, perfect. I want to make sure I have... Yep, I got it right. Anya yeah, Ainulindale. Ainulindale. Sorry for those of you who are Tolkien fans out there. I mispronounced it. Ainulindale.
0: You lose
2: your Tolkien badge. I'm already angry, <laughs> Francesco. I'm seething mad. Seething you mad. misquoted the Silverillion. Uh, oh my goodness. Anyways, so, go ahead, Francesco. And so you have- I'm going to try and keep back my anger. There
1: you go. Aluvatar, Who's the you know, god, Uluvatar. of course. Iluvatar. Oh. Uh, the one. And he creates the Ainur. Uh, the Holy Ones. I think they literally call it The Holy Ones. This is one chapter I really studied a lot. Oh, to yeah. And of course, the Ainur come up with this song. And in this song is the prefigurement of the world in Middle-earth, right? And all the events that will happen. And they, not every Ainur, which are basically almost like angels. They're, they're Catholic, like
0: the highest choir of angels. They right? are. Yeah,
1: the I know. Yeah. I think they're, at first, they all resolve into the highest choir of angel. right? They're all, hmm. then later on when Melkor uh, or Morgoth. It's kind of like
0: on. the Lucifer figure, right? It is right? the Lucifer
1: thing where he creates disunity. I think there's three attempts at the song. The first one, second one, third one, three ages of Middle-earth. There you go. So, um, and then Melkor disrupts each one and then ultimately when the world, right, was made flesh basically which is a really interesting concept because you have the world in song and you also have the world in matter in substantial form when it was committed to a substantial form Melkor refused to participate in his part right in his part of the song and so disunity and so yeah the darkness and corruption I was going
0: to say cuz I haven't read the Silmarillion yet but my little brother I'm a big fan of Tolkien my yeah. little brother has read it and Ooh. it might be even new- Bigger fan by knowledge than, right, I then, am, yeah. than I am yet. But uh didn't Morgoth also, in his sort of Luciferian type, didn't he also like create the orcs as like a mockery of the elves? Yes, so, so like Satan mocks the beautiful right. So
1: that's why he is Tolkien explicitly says in Silmarillion, in Lord of the Rings, I think even more so in Silmarillion is that he cannot create. Darkness cannot create, it they can only perverts. And that's of course very Christological theme. Very not Christological, very catholic theme very you know the- theological philosophically correct theme and so w- what we're pointing out at one point is like okay lord of the rings right so in this beginning there's this very clear analogy between uh, you know the luciferian story right the story of lucifer falls melkor's fall and how j r tolkien starts his mythology. But after that, it greatly diverges. Like there's nothing really in some, I think George Lucas, I mean, not, no, that's different. That's Star Wars. Tolkien said he hates analogy, like yeah. the smell of it, you know, he it upsets him. He doesn't really like analogy. And that's why in some around the Lord of the Rings, you can't pinpoint clearly. It's the
0: themes and types rather than a direct
1: one-to-one correlation. Exactly. I think in one of his letters, and this is all thanks to my Tolkien scholar friends back at Franciscan who have taught me in their ways of Tolkien. they said that Tolkien his letters says that he brings these universal themes that he brings these themes but it's each up to each person to apply it to their own situation in life. That's why he hates analogy because analogy there's only one correct way of seeing it. With themes there's multitude of ways you can apply it to your own life. That's why hmm. many atheists even really like Lord of the Rings where I don't know of many atheists who hail Narnia. You know, saying Chronicles of Narnia. That's a great point. It's, yeah.
2: Yeah. Those things can be like anyone can approach them, but they're very Christological Yeah, I mean, when you when you, approach, very- when you when you understand it, but it's a theme or a type rather than just a one to one. Aslan is Jesus, Aslan right? as is Aslan. Jesus. Yeah. You know, the witch is the devil, or whatever. to be fair
0: to Lewis, though in rereading the Chronicles as an adult, I do think it's less of a direct analogy as he is creating a fantasy world that is so influenced by his Christianity. It's basically Mm. the same thing happening or the way, like rereading the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. It strikes me as this is like this, him imaginatively expressing the spiritual reality of Mm. Jesus's death. And because, you know, obviously Narnia is covered with snow and then ruled by the white witch. The world is dead and ruled by the death. And, you know, being run by the devil. Yeah. Essentially, mm-hmm. we are slaves to the white, which we were slaves to slaves sin to the and death. Lights, you know. Well, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, back on topic. Yes. Yeah. So we have the
1: metaphysics of corruption. Basically, evil is a corruption. Good is the only thing that can substantially exist on its own and create. Right. So that's why the elves are able to become. I mean, sorry. The Valar, sorry, the Valar are able to be the, the Ainur who come down to Earth and say, "We'll help these do, du- you know, we'll help these elves, these men who are prophesied in the who are f- foreshadowed in the song, right? The song I know that Ainur died. we're going to help these guys because we really love the Earth, we really love what we sing. So they come down to Earth and basically they are sub creators. There's one interesting story of one the Valar, I forgot his name, who made the Dwarves, but that's the, that's a divergent. Basically, they they can become sub creators, whereas Melkor mm-hmm. Morgoth cannot create at all. And that leads ties into Lord of the Rings, you know, Sauron and of course in the film, right? The famous sees do you know how the orcs came to be? And then he goes on to explain there how they were elves once. Yes, they were elves once. Christopher Lee, uh, rest in peace. Uh, yeah. but it, he it basically says they're elves once, right? are there's that thematic theme of corruption. Whereas in Star Wars, you are seduced to a already pre-existing condition, the mm. dark side. Whereas in Tolkien, it's like there's people who are dark. But it's not like a pre existing dark side. It was established so that in the very creation beginning of
0: time. is good and it's been corrupted by evil. Yes, yes. Yeah.
1: And I think, and we're talking about, I remember talking this with a friend about how Star Wars ultimately, right, if light and dark side, how ultimately is, illo- Not, I think, sort of illogical in the end, whereas Tolkien resolves logically. So in Tolkien, if evil is a corruption, then, when people feel wrong, like okay, I feel wronged by this person, right? You are, you have a right to say that you have been wronged, you know, and you are able to conquer it. Like you are called to conquer evil and bring good, because evil is a corruption. Whereas in Star Wars, if people say we need to fight against evil, if evil is just the other side of the coin, right? What's the reason? What's the ultimate reason for them mm. fighting against evil? If it's, if it's just going to come back at some other, yeah, just, some other time, yeah. yeah. So there's told, no resolution really, right? Yeah. Which is
2: why you, Disney, can buy them out for billions of dollars and continue to make movies. Exactly,
1: like make movies. Or if you go with George Lucas. Convenient,
2: convenient yeah. from your philosophical perspective. Exactly.
1: Or if you have George Lucas, the supposed, I think it is true, I have to look it up again. George Lucas saying the light side resolves everything. Then that will make sense how there can be a resolution.
2: Yeah, instead. but there okay, has to be a case for why it,
0: good is good and evil is evil. Yeah.
2: yeah, that puts it in an interesting light. If Lucas says interesting light, pun intended, <laughs> if the light can resolve it, then Lucas is saying Disney's going to have to resolve it at some point in time. Well, yeah. they did. And yes. You didn't see it. <laughs> well, wait,
0: they, they, they-, they brought the, what they're calling the Skywalker saga to a conclusion in the last movie. Hmm. And who knows where they're going to go with it next. But yeah, they did Spoil finish it. the big...
2: the conclusion.
0: Oh, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, Ray kind of gets communes with all the great Jedi of the past and there's a cameo of pretty much so many popular... They stole that from Avatar. ...characters. And then... <laughs> they're like you can do it ray yes. or whatever and she gets up and then there's the climactic confrontation between palpatine and ray which i think they were also kind of by making once ray again
2: a, how is oh by palpatine's making alive by making clones yes
0: and by so making the ray original a palpatine, palpatine, palpatine that
2: it. got thrown down the chasm he's dead Maybe. i think
0: they i said don't know he's a
1: dark side spirit so like palpatine's dark side spirit was able to inhabit a clone body oh, like voldemort or something yeah like voldemort <laughs> and since and the reason why his clone body was corrupting so badly in Rise of Skywalker is because his dark side spirit was so powerful that started corrupting yeah. his body. Yeah.
0: So, but basically, they have their climactic thing. Palpatine says, "I am the Sith," and then she says, "And I'm the Jedi." And then she like redirects his lightning into him, and he gets disintegrated <laughs> for the that third is the time. Most cheesy the Disney third... line
2: that I have ever heard. I'm the Sith. I'm the Jedi. Give well, it, but
0: in the end, then it's the light side conquering the dark side in a very sort of definitive way, at least for now. <laughs> for now if there's something that comic books have taught us is like you can always bring a villain back if you want to if there's something this movie has taught us is you can always bring a villain back yes. if you want to
2: okay <sighs> but Lord of the Rings though when he throws well not when he throws when the ring gets thrown Ooh, yes. into the fire which by the way you had an amazing thing about Gollum yes. so
1: I so the Gollum so basically we're thinking you know all the way back in The Hobbit you have Gollum as a character and then Frodo's questioning it's a pity that he wasn't slain. And then yes. Gandalf says pity. It was pity that spared him. It was Bilbo's pity that spared him. And maybe he has a purpose in, in this Gandalf for good or for ill. And then we're thinking, okay, so Gollum is this wretched, horrible character. I mean, the poor guy, there's almost no redeeming qualities
2: about he's him.
0: He's total slave to he, murder his
2: brother. You yeah. Know, goes Mer- off into the wilderness and turns into Gollum. And yes, turns into Gollum and then just... He was a hobbit, right? He was a hobbit, yes.
1: And he lies, steals, and cheats his way through everything. You know? Yeah, exactly. Um, except when he's put under intense torture and then he reveals the location. Then he says, Shia! <laughs>
0: Baggins! Shia, uh,
1: Anyways. So, yeah, but... Spoiler alert. <laughs> for... So, at the end, of course, ultimately the reason why Gollum was spared for the higher purpose was that, oh, in the end, Frodo was about you know had the chance he was at Mount Doom he was in Mount Doom and he was about to drop the ring into the lava and he had that chance but he wouldn't let go it corrupted him it was the most it was the intense like the ring had the most power at that point over him mm. and Sam you know Frodo put the ring on his finger and Sam couldn't do anything so in the movie at least that's how they portray it but Gollum Gollum was the one who ultimately bit off his finger and it was only because of Gollum that the ring was ultimately destroyed And I think in the movie, so here's the funny difference between the movie and the film. And this is, not movie and film, the same thing, movie and the book, the film and the book. In the film, Gollum gets the ring, right? But Frodo tackles him over the edge. And that's when Mm -hmm. Gollum falls into the lava. Whereas in the book, he literally just trips over no edge.
0: Isn't like just like that? It like swallows him up. Yeah, basically. So he has
1: the ring and then he trips over a rock and then um, dies. And I think some friends- so my friends, Tolkien scholars shout out to them again, back at Francisco was saying that maybe it was Lúvatar who pushed him over the edge in, the, in or, the book. Yeah,
0: I mean, and if you think about it, I think you connected to grace in yes, the so pre-show. So
1: I think Tolkien said this or people have analyzed it in this way that Gollum represents unexpected grace. Mm-hmm. And of course, there's nothing sanctifying about Gollum. So it's, it can't be sanctifying grace. So it fall under the actual grace of the moment because mm-hmm. there's moments in our lives where like, of course, Thomas Aquinas's philosophy: out of evil, a greater good comes, right? So, and then, so the unexpected grace, the actual grace of Gollum being spared, and even though he put Frodo and Sam through so much misery, it was ultimately him who was able to resolve the ring and resolve the conflict between Sauron and the forces of light. You know, the forces, the dwarves and the elves and the men. Finally, that it was him, and that's a totally unexpected grace. You know, God can use the bet, you know, the worst of times to bring a bit worst of things the absolute corrupted things and bring good out of that still
2: if it wasn't for that Frodo's whole journey he would have become the next yep. i don't know Gollum. 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 probably a Nazgûl. cool yeah or sure. golem because yeah, he, he Gollum was because so this is a hobby. really cool thing with the ring too that i really uh, i thought was really brilliant was it changes nature but it doesn't supersede it meaning mm. you can't become the Sauron incarnate because you don't have the nature to do that, right? right? Like Gollum w- didn't become like Um Isildur when he started, right? The ring, or right?
1: the Nazgul when he, had or like the
2: Nazgul, it. right? Because the well, Nazgul the, had the
1: sub-rings, but yeah, but they did, had the yeah, the
2: sub-rings, right? And the sub-rings affected each of the races their natures in different ways, mm-hmm. and I think that's really brilliant. With with uh, with Tolkien is that with with grace and nature and the corruption of nature yeah. that affects people differently, mm-hmm. right? They don't, uh, it, it doesn't. um, it doesn't supersede like the like the hobbit putting on the ring makes him invisible whereas if Sauron put it on it would be like the mm. end of the universe yeah that's you know, cuz it's his ring well, because like, it's his own yeah, nature also. yeah um but yeah and then gollum he's the one who completes the journey for frodo the whole yeah. time and the whole the whole question is whether they should kill him the entire time basically yes. when he's when he's with them and um that's what frodo says uh no, even no. even in the beginning <sighs> yeah lord of the rings it just Yeah, you can be a scholar in it like your friends who are scholars because there's so much to it. There's so many different things that, you know, wasn't it Christopher Lee, who, uh, the guy who played uh, Saruman? Saruman, Saruman, yeah, yeah, who said he read, he reads Lord of the Rings every year, uh, once a year. That's quite a work. I think I heard he was a big fan of Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Uh, But that was like his major.
0: I think he originally auditioned for Gandalf. Ooh. I think I've heard that, oh, wow. but oh, obviously wow. he wound up being offered Saruman through one way or another. I'm not sure. Exactly out of all the process. characters,
2: like I can't think of Gandalf. Any Ian difference. McKellen yeah, was so, and yeah, I Ian think Ian McKellen. McKellen
0: has said his favorite non-Shakespeare character that he's played is Gandalf.
2: Out of hmm. all of them. And I, I think they really portray the characters very well. Um, some people take, okay, the way that, that that Frodo's presented in the book versus the way Frodo's is presented in the movies. Huh. I don't know if you've heard this. Let's they, hear it out. They, yeah. They basically said that the Frodo in the books is a little bit more like statesmanly, is is a little bit more, um, you know, he calls him Mr. Frodo, right? Sam right. calls him Mr. Frodo. Yeah. Like there's there's more of like Frodo's more established. Like he's yeah. like in his, I don't know, 30s or something. Yeah, he's Whereas more- the Frodo's a bit younger in the movie. He
1: looks a bit younger in the movie. In the, in yeah. the book, it's like he's, he's older- well, of course, for Hobbit, middle-aged, I guess yeah, you middle call age him. Middle-aged character. So he's it's a similar pattern to Bilbo. Bilbo went out when he was a little bit older, like 60. I forgot how old he was, but Frodo goes out at around the same time. Yeah. Um, so we have Frodo in a book and the Frodo movie different. But there's I think the biggest difference is Aragorn's character.
0: Yes. Really? They, they ter- actually, back to what you were saying about the reluctant hero. Yeah. They turn Aragorn into more of a reluctant hero in the movies, don't they? Yeah, they do. They really do. He's like, he's like the whole, His whole struggle in the movies. I've
1: watched the movies more than I've read the book, you know, mm-hmm. but no. it's says in the movies that I don't want to become the king. I don't want to have this power where, and he's finally has to accept it. And that's really odd now after reading the books where in the books, he, his kingship is revealed more and more like his kingly stature is revealed more and more throughout the book. And he, is not reluctant and he's not necessarily reluctant to accept the responsibility, but like he only shows it when necessary. Yeah. So in the beginning, right, they're thinking that's Strider, Strider, he's the King. What? they think all the hobbits and uh, later on and Brie, I think when they were in the end of the return of the King, which is, they didn't put this in a movie because there's just no time to put it. They but already had a billion endings. They did. They really billion <laughs> endings, but the book in the book what was, they went, returned to the same inn. I think there's one comment as this, how Mr. Butterbur, you know, the, the innkeeper was like wait a minute time out that that Aragorn who's really the king that's just mind-boggling because he saw him as Strider Uh, so I think in the movie it's like um, Aragorn wanted to remain as Strider and that's also the yeah.
0: back to what you're saying about the book Aragorn though that's back to the Christological typing isn't it it is because this seemingly you know low-born man is actually the king right? Christ who was born in a manger and just this wandering rabbi in the Middle East is actually king of the universe yeah
2: he is, and doesn't he have that like the healing houses stuff where like the king has, he a, has healing a healing touch? touch. Yeah, that got taken out. The what was it with uh, Faramir and Aowin? Um, Eowyn? Yeah, Eowyn? Yes, yeah, don't they? Because like, Ar- it's Arwen. As I always,
1: get confused. Ar- Arwen is the elf. Yeah, Aowin is, is the. the so yeah, yeah, the two
0: fe- big female characters are Arwen and Aowin. Then the two big evils in that are Saruman and, and Sar- Sauron. Yeah. Is, yeah. <laughs> I motivation. really liked
2: I think I loved Faramir's character. Like Faramir and Boromir um hmm. are just I really liked them as as characters as well. And that, that whole healing house episode obviously didn't make it into the was it in the extended editions it might have been just not really touched on as it was in the books. So. Yeah, because Faramir yeah. gets you know hurt like crazy, right? Yeah. And then is did Awen? Eowyn, Eowyn got it's hurt when from the other thing, It's too, when right? she
0: stabs the Witch King. Yeah. yeah and well, one her she's arm is broken well. by the mace, yeah. and yeah. also killing the Witch King, I think, messed her it up. Did. It did. No. Yeah.
2: And then they, they get together... You know, yeah, after, and, and then Aragorn doesn't he come and like heal people at the healing house? He has like house? a healing he touch. Yeah, he does. Now that. is that? I think that's a type of of David, right? When didn't David have some like healing properties? Like the King has like healing properties. I'm There's not some type sure. Of archetype. Yeah, it's well, been Christ a while. Christ, heal Christ, yeah, I mean, Christ, <laughs> Christ does a healing Christ definitely does. Christ definitely I'm not king, sure yeah.
1: about David. I have to reread Samuel okay, Chronicles yeah. and Chronicles um, and Kings.
2: Oh, oh, David with uh with Saul, right? He plays yeah. the harp for him.
1: Yeah, there he goes, healing
2: him of his ailment.
1: Yeah, that's right. He played Anyways, the harp, soothed yeah, him. But I think it's more of a, definitely a very, expl- not because expl- Tolkien doesn't you know make things too explicit, but very, like shared a lot of things with Christ. With Christ. I think ultimately the reason why Tolkien's characters and the Christ figure, because we were talking about this earlier, right? Gandalf could represent the prophetic nature of Christ. Sam, no, Frodo. Frodo represents the priestly nature of Christ, mm-hmm. you know, sacrificing to Bring the ring, you know, bearing the weight of the sin on his shoulders. And Aragon, as you said, represents the kingly uh aspect of Christ, the kingly nature of Christ.
2: So what's this thing with Sam being like the ultimate Christological figure out of everyone? Oh wait, have you wait, what? This have is, you heard of this? Okay, so everyone's like Sam is like the greatest figure in world. Well, Earth I
0: don't say people say he's the greatest Christological figure, but I think didn't Tolkien himself say Sam, char- Sam, Sam, Sam is the main character. Sam is the main character. He's the loyal servant. Who goes through the all entire of it. time? Yeah,
1: yeah. He's. I think it's. Once again, shout out to Tolkien scholars. But uh, it's. I think it's sort of like Sam's nature didn't change. Right, his nature. He was always loyal to Frodo. He was always loyal to his shire, and ultimately. His nature was perfected, I think, through this, right? His Mm. his nature, like St. Paul says, right? As in through fire, gold is purified. So you will be purified. So Sam, right? He goes out. His nature remains, right? He's always loyal. Think about it. He's almost the same character as he was in the beginning and at the end, always loyal, always faithful. But Mm. it, it just deepened. His nature deepened through this trial. So that's why Sam was able to go back. He was able to go back to the shire and live in peace, whereas Frodo, he couldn't. Frodo had been changed by the journey after bearing the ring, he couldn't go back from that, and his nature was sort of changed in that way. I mean, of course, nature—not metaphysical, metaphysically speaking—but character-wise, his nature, like he wasn't the same Frodo as he was before. Um, and while Sam, I think, he pretty much stayed the same sort of nature, except strengthened and developed through this adventure.
2: Did Gandalf leave as well? Did he go on the at the Grey Havens? Did he leave on the ship? He did. Yes, he did. Because right. his mission, his
0: mission was fulfilled. Yes.
2: Yeah, that's one of those things of. Aragorn, of course, continues to rule Gondor. And did he, uh, was uh, he united Gondor and Rohan afterwards? I don't think I, he, fuzzy I don't think he end.
0: unites Gondor and Rohan, but doesn't he go up and reestablish the kingdoms to the north? I think so.
1: I mean, the last bit I remember after reading last bits of Return of the King, that's fuzzy for me is like yeah, the last
0: bits. Of what happens to Mordor, by the way?
2: Um, I'm not sure. Not sure I mean, exactly.
0: Golf course. I, golf course. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think-
2: Make it a very big golf course. It's got a lot of hills.
0: Met, wasn't it men used to be in the north- and that sort of fell. Yeah. I think part of Aragorn's thing is to reestablish the kingdom, right? Because he had the Witch King of Angmar and Angmar, the Witch yes, yeah, and the Angmar the that Witch fell. King of Angmar. No, <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that's where Angmar is. It's the north. It's a northern, yeah, northern, or the northern. Yeah, something. it's in the north. Wow, that's how I should say. It. What a
2: nerdy podcast this has been. <laughs> yes, Jeez. yes um, we still got more to say, but yeah, I mean, I was just thinking, I was like, man, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings. There's so much to it, and like, is. I haven't. I read the book, so okay, I, I'll make a confession. I it took me a long time to get through the books. All right, and it was difficult, but I forced myself and I really really enjoyed it. Yes. And it was an, an amazing amazing um I have not read it again because I know it's just so much. Like I think for most people when they pick up the books, right, who are not great novel readers or whatever, I you get to like the Elven songs and, and you're like what
0: the hell am I and doing? And to be fair, <laughs> Tolkien is not as readable as someone like Lewis Tolkien can, mm-hmm. I think can be pretty dry. It's very deep and rich, obviously when you get into it, but it's not gripping or Easy, And that made and the me way like, the way the of the are. movies.
2: The movies. Oh, geez. I mean, out of any book to movie adaptation. I mean, it's, Lord of the Rings got to take the cake.
1: Yeah, of course, it, they have many fans quibble with it, but at the same time, just come on, the general atmosphere of no, And I of think movies Peter and the, Jackson
0: hey, and his team yeah. were respectful enough to Tolkien's vision. Yes. And like were. consciously right, respectful like, to what mm, he was doing. I think in an interview, Peter Jackson said
1: that even though he didn't hold the same religious beliefs as Tolkien did, he still included it anyway. Yes. I, th- I
0: think what, I remember that yeah. too.
2: Mm. And So that's, I, I think- It's often, so Catholic. Yeah. The it whole is. movie is just so Catholic. Really, Everything from how how much they drink to like the drinking. lombus
0: bread as a eucharistic type. Oh, Frodo, yes. Frodo yes. gets through the va- Frodo and Sam get through the Valley of Death, powered by this this literally angelic bread because mm, the angels yep, are sort of a, yep. or the elves are sort of an angel type. Galadriel gives them this you know angelic bread that powers them through and is the only thing they have. Their only refuge. Their only sustenance through literally like the valley of death mm-hmm. Mordor to doom so the U- the Eucharistic typology of the Lambus bread mind just freaking yeah. blown I will never and, get, and who can't stand the Lambus bread Sneagle. He, yes. he, he won't eat it yeah
2: nasty bread he, he, yes exactly because he's fallen from grace exactly mm-hmm. and so it's repugnant to him yes freaking Tolkien man <laughs> the heck how is he that's amazing. It, it, I never amazing. knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then he has to go out and eat fish. All right. Um, yeah. So juicy All sweet. Right. Can we talk Faramir for a second? Okay. Let's talk Faramir. Um, what did I want to talk about Faramir?
0: Why do I like him so much as a character? I wonder. Well, Cause um, like he's
1: kind of, he's a little bit different in the books than in the movies. I think. Yes. Yeah.
0: That's true. Okay. I think ultimately they don't completely subvert Faramir's character. Yeah. But they make him weaker in the movies than they he was They do. In the
1: he's very stoic. Not quite stoic, but he's very... With the hobbits, right? He says, I don't know what mission you're going towards, but yes. let me help you in this way. Right? He understands. He he's, talks them, where's the movie, he's like, "No, you're going nowhere. And it finally takes a final convincing. Okay, you guys can Ultimately, come. he does. Yeah. yeah.
0: But I think what you're saying, it's, yeah. like a, it's like a fortitude or he recognizes that it's right what they're doing. So he lets yes. them go. He never brings them to Osgileath like in the movies. Let me right. bring
2: it to my favorite book of all time. <laughs> it seems like a Dimitri and Ivan situation of um of Boromir and uh Faramir, right? Because Boromir is like oh, so this is Dostoevsky this is okay, Brothers I, K. K. I have yeah, Brothers read K. it favorite yeah. book of all time Brothers Karamazov hmm. um, I'm definitely more the Dostoevsky scholar than I am the Tolkien scholar although I appreciate Tolkien very much but Dimitri in uh, Brothers Karamazov is a he's a captain of an army and he's very like passionate and does things on impulse and is very strong and just angry and all the time whatever Ivan's the uh, really brilliant he's sad atheist. intellectual he's, he's a sad intellectual like us um, but um. Yeah. And then I think as well, like Boromir, you know, very impassioned, very mm. quick to making judgments. Let's just go slay these people. Super strong. Faramir seems a lot more cunning, uh, very well, reasoned. And yet, you know, and then when it goes back to when he, you know, with with Denethor, right. That scene where, um, you know, he's like, what would you have me do? He's, even though he's still gonna all this stuff, he's really looking for his father's approval. Mm. And, uh, and his father, Denethor, the, the asshole, has to just say, you know, just flat out, like, I prefer Boromir to you. I, I wish yeah. that
0: you were dead and Boromir was alive. It's what he sells them. Oh,
2: that's right. That's always, that, like, rough. To which, which makes Faramir a lot more endearing, right? And then, But he still, he doesn't just say, F you, dad, and, like, run away. But he goes out and he does On a suicide mission. He, on yeah, a suicide. Okay. Right, yeah. Let's talk the morality of that situation. All right. <laughs> so, so, should he have continued and done the command? I mean... Is it meritorious to Faramir that he... This is... Wow, there's a whole lot of factors. Went on a suicide mission I mean, that his king dad told her him to
0: do. Steward, dad. yes, <laughs> steward. Yeah, steward.
2: <laughs> steward. That, when, when Gandalf says steward, yeah. that's got to be one of my favorite parts it's of the It's not movie. for
0: you to deny the return of the king, steward. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay, Faramir o- obeyed Denethor, went out, got his butt kicked, got all his men killed, and then he somehow gets alive and they send mm-hmm. him on a horse back, right? Right. Um. yeah Faramir should he have done that
0: I mean the authority figure was pretty compromised
1: yeah he, he was but this is oh this is could be a perfect tie into Dark Knight which eventually like how should you subvert authority sort mm-hmm. of thing and how that goes into it Um, but I with I don't know like I, I this I'm trying to think because that's not one of the parts of the movie I really gave like a ton of thought to in the past, it's always been like, "Oh, this is terrible." His dad's terrible. He's lost his reason, so he sends son out to war for a suicide mission. I'm not. I don't know if Faramir, if he, as his, sorry, as a steward's son, like as his son, he owes allegiance to his father. You know, what I'm saying, and he owes that respect. Okay, like I need to obey his commands, even if he's going mad. Whereas the one who I'm trying to think, because later on, Denethor orders. You know, I think in the book, Denethor orders. People says, when I'm, he's going to burn himself and he's going to burn Faramir's supposed corpse, that leave me alone, right? But the one soldier defects and kind of tells Pippin about it and then, or Pippin, no, Pippin does, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. Pippin does see it. And then he goes against he, Gandalf. Yeah. He goes against Gandalf. But even then Pippin was, remember Denethor in the movie, at least that's why I remember more vividly. Denethor says, you are freed from your oath. And that's when Pippin goes and tells Gandalf mm-hmm. after he frees Pippin from the oath, which is interesting. Pippin doesn't do anything before he's freed from the oath. So yeah, i wonder. There's like an yeah.
2: element of like obedience to your authority, even when it's corrupt, but as yeah. long as it's not commanding you to do something immoral. Right. I think- Which is good Catholic- Morality stuff, right? I think because I mean, the fault would
1: lie within
2: with Denethor. Denethor, Denethor.
1: with uh, Boromir, I think like even if he said no, that would have been fine. I'm guessing because like if what if like as Thomas Aquinas would say, a law that does not follow you know the natural law is no law at all, and a law that tells you to kill yourself would not be right. Would, would not be a just law. law. And so basically, I think uh, Faramir would have been in the right to say no to that. But I'm not sure. How much culpability he has if he's obeying orders? I'm not sure about that.
2: Yeah, Denethor. All right, favorite character in all of Lord of the Rings. Am I right? You know, <laughs> the steward. Uh, yeah, and talk about archetype of you know the the kingdom that's just grown so corrupt and its leader so corrupt. Mm-hmm. And then the best part is when Gandalf just knocks him on the head with his staff. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's just like this. This reign is over. And then Denethor goes off the rails and tries to kill himself. Now there's what, what is similar with Denethor and Saruman, right? They both cooperated with Sauron, right? They both are using palantirs. Lately, yeah. Because yeah, D- yeah, Denethor, yeah, yeah. Denethor was using was a palantir, he, his, who yeah. was trying mm-hmm. to basically had been so afraid of the power of the dark,
0: you know, so, Sauron the ruler.
2: And so had Saruman. He had been afraid and been yeah. tempted one, by the too, One
0: similarity yeah. between them, they manifest it in different ways. Yes. But mm-hmm. ultimately both despair in the face of evil. Denethor right. gives, well, number one, Boromir's death is a hit on him, and he's despairing in the face of the overwhelming evil on him. Saruman similarly despairs in a way he gives up in the face of evil. Let me
2: do two quotes, right? Saruman says, uh, okay, Feoden gets tempted towards it too. Remember what can men do against such reckless hate? Right, right? Yeah. He gets tempted to it, and then he ends up being convinced, right? And then goes. But he had a moment where he almost despaired when he mm-hmm. was in... Now, Saruman also said, you know, no one can withhold the power of the eye, right? So, so it's, a, it's a moment of despair. And then Denethor saying, um, you know, don't come in, you know, saying to Gandalf, right, this, uh, you think you're so wise, but don't you know that Sauron really is in control, basically? I can't remember what Denethor says mm-hmm. when, when Gandalf comes in. I think all three of them are... Are iterating this the same idea that look, Sauron is so powerful. Oh, oh, Saruman says to Gandalf when they're together, right? We must, we join, must join him with him. Yes. That's There's I was no thinking other of. way, right? Yeah. Let's bring some theology into this, boys, right? So, grace and nature. And um, if you don't believe grace can really work, then basically make, you know, try and win as much. Pleasure and and success as you mm-hmm. can here on Earth in an evil way because it's all evil anyways. It's all going to hell. Literally, and everyone's going to hell. So why not just despair? You know, that's what uh, that's what Job's wife tells Job: Just curse Kers God and curse God, and die. curse, God. curse God, God and die. die. Right. Yeah. That's basically Thanks, Saruman. <laughs> that's literally Saruman and Denethor and what Theoden is tempted to do as well, which he ultimately rejects. That's Theoden's, Theoden's big test is. And I think one of the and things if we that want brings to talk that about is
0: Aragorn. If we want to talk about anti parallels, like yeah, we we're talking like with Anakin and uh Luke Skywalker. Luke Skywalker, yeah. Theoden and Denethor both lose their only son. Mm. Both I'll lose one both yeah, face yeah. destruction at the face of evil. And yet uh Theoden ultimately rises to the occasion where Denethor despairs and mm. dies in a fairly humiliating way. Yeah. <laughs> Kills himself. Fills yes. Himself, yeah. On fire. Lights himself yeah. on fire. <laughs> Bring me oil. <laughs> <laughs> just like, That's not only sons. He thinks he loses both of his sons. That's right. It. Where yeah, Theoden yeah. loses his only son. That's right. A, but Theoden kind of, loses they, his son yeah. has
2: Gandalf by his side to say, we're going to continue. And then Denethor loses his son and then just no like completely yeah. loses, you know, loses his mind and and all sorts of stuff. That's a very interesting connection with That is. Yeah. Like Denethor and Theoden. And Theoden... You know, um, I remember that scene when he he's with Eowyn, right? And and um, she had just been with Aragorn, you know, and like passed the cup to him and whatever. And he, he says it wasn't Theoden of Rohan that led our men, right? Mm. Like he realizes his own flaws and insignificance, like how insignificant, and you know, he really is in this. If
0: we're going to talk in the face of evil too- Denethor ultimately yells to his men, Abandon your posts, die in any I think, yes, die, die in like whatever anywhere. way you see fit. Where yes. Theoden looks at the odds, he in his charge shouts death because he Damn. thinks he is yes. giving the life of himself and all of his people for the race of men. They had already won their war. I mean, ultimately Saruman or Sauron would get them eventually. But he looks at it and says, The right thing to do is for us to ride to the aid of Gondor here. Yes. No. And he's right willing now. and he is willing to sacrifice himself and all of his people. For what he believes is right. So he ultimately does what he believes is right and has and is rewarded for it ultimately in the yeah. face of this evil where Denthor despairs. He does. And that's, I think, in the book too, that was heavily
1: emphasized. And people sometimes wrongfully criticize Tolkien of saying, oh, he's too light. But if you read, of course, read Lord of the Rings. And even some really, it's like everything's really dark. At one point, it's not until the very end where things become hope. Like I remember, like Sam and Frodo, their whole mindset is, "Oh, that we're going to despair, we're going to die, even if we do it." So Frodo it did not trying, expect anyway. to come back from right Mount Neither Doom Sam either. Yeah,
0: and Theoden didn't
1: expect to survive. Right, that so was exactly exactly going back to that point. There is that in the book. He it was, it was constantly saying, "We must help Rohan, even if it means we die." If we Theoden does die. Yes, and he does. Victory, you but know, his victory, yeah. But unexpected. ultimately,
0: he helps keep man from falling to evil. Mm-hmm. Dies from an elephant, right? <laughs> no, the witch king kills him. The witch king. The oh, witch king goes in front okay. of him, and his horse rears and falls off yeah. him. I believe as what uh, happens. Ah, that's right. Yeah,
2: yeah. But he dies victoriously. My body is broken. <laughs> I go to the halls of my fathers. He dies in a very, you know, honorable way. Denethor yeah. falls into a pit of fire and then flies off a. <laughs> the it side of a mountain. It flies off the minister. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Dang. I never thought of it like, like Denethor, And there, there's so many connections there. Um, yeah. I mean, we haven't even got to the main of Frodo and Aragorn and Gandalf, but um, we got to Samwise. I uh, got to Gollum. We want to get to uh, Dark Knight. We have like 10-20 A little special left. bonus for you yes. guys after doing Dark. Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Batman the Dark Knight. Right. Doing all the great trilogies. Yeah, we, oh, yeah, we you're are. right.
0: It is
1: the trilogies. There's one trilogy that's left out the Spider-Man trilogy, but I digress. We got to get Dark Knight in. Um, and
2: the reason we say Dark Knight, for me, Dark Knight like is just the best one out of the 3 yeah. I don't even remember Batman Begins People really.
0: sleep on Batman Begins this is a very it good is. movie Okay really give
2: me the synopsis Batman Begins cuz I know I know when it picks up in Dark Knight yeah. right I, okay, Joker's Joker is one of my favorite villains ever
1: yeah. I it's, mean just so good Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises their story is so distinct that you remember it Batman Begins I'm trying to remember It's basically it's the story of you know of course Batman beginning duh. like he goes he feels like at first, remember he's, of course he trains trains with Ra's al Ghul, right? And Ra's al Ghul is saying, al-Ghul, Ra's al Ghul, Ra's al Ghul, you know, whatever, however you pronounce it. I won't judge you either way. Thank you. Al- Ra's al Ghul, Ra's al Ghul, I don't know. But he, he trains with Ra's al Ghul and Ra's al Ghul is saying we must destroy Gotham, right? That only way we can purge the city of its evil is to destroy it completely because it's all hope is lost for Gotham. And that's where Batman disagrees with him. Despair, right? There's the theme of despair again. Whereas Batman says, no, there's hope. I can become a symbol, right? I can become more than a man. I think that's even in Dark Knight. He doesn't become a man. He becomes a symbol. And that's a great, a symbol is greater than trying to destroy something, right? A symbol of hope in the world. And that's why he puts on Don's the cowl and it becomes a symbol of fear, right? You need something to terrorize the villains with, right? Terrorize the criminals with and cleanse basically try keeping the city intact, but cleansing at the same time. And there's that big theme in Batman Begins of Fear. You know, how do you master fear? And that's because they add Scarecrow in just to put an exclamation mark on that theme. So Scarecrow comes in and he covers Gotham City in Fear. And ultimately, plot twist and plot spoiler, case you haven't watched it, it's ultimately Ra's al Ghul. Ra's al Ghul was the one who planned it all along with Scarecrow to release the fear toxin in Gotham City. So that way Gotham City would fall and collapse. Basically the weight of its sins would kind of fall into it, yeah. And so at the end, Batman, of course, Batman has his code where he, no kill code. And there's that famous line right before he's on the train with Rachel Ghoul and they have that final fight and the train, you know, in order to you know, they hit something like the train's about to derail, but then Batman's able to the train is about to go into Wayne Tower, but then the he was Batman's was able to derail the train at the last minute, and Rachel Ghoul was stuck on there. And then Batman said his, you know, he has a no-kill rule, but doesn't mean I have to save you. And then he just leaves Rachel Cool to die on the train. So that's, I think, establishes too. Like Batman is overcoming that fear. And he finds that symbol, right? Once you, in order to become the symbol, he must overcome whatever the symbol symbolizes. Mm-hmm. The bat symbolizes fear. And he overcomes that fear and he uses it as his weapon. And His no kill rules almost like the principle, moral principle double effect. Right? Batman has a no-kill rule, but if you don't save that guy, did you technically kill him or not? That's really interesting.
0: And actually, that vein of fear is returned to when the Dark Knight rises. Yes. When he's in the pit because he realizes that fear is a natural thing Mm -hmm. and you actually need it in order to have he needed it literally in that scene to have the push to be able to make the jump to get out of the pit.
1: Yes. And that's another what we call anti-parallel or new, let's coin it, you know, let's uh, put it in trademark, you know, anti-parallel. <laughs> trademark. Yeah, trademark. Tell Alex to trademark. <laughs> anti-parallel. Another was that in the beginning he had to conquer fear. He had to use it like, more like envelop it in himself. Like bring him, like he had to use platonic imagery to become the form of fear, hmm. right? Uh, whereas in Dark Knight Rises, like you said, he had to accept that fear is a natural part and it gives motivation to live. But then Dark Knight. So we have like the anti-parallel, the first one, The third one, but now we have Dark Knight, which lies in the middle. And what themes were we trying to discuss here, at least for a little bit?
2: I mean, even with themes, let me just stop and just say, like, just how it's directed. I mean, Christopher Nolan, my man, like. Once again, just some of my favorite scenes in movies: the opening Joker scene, or the bank bank heist. Oh my gosh, it's so and Hans
0: Zimmer's score with that screeching violin. Ah. Yes, so thrilling. And
2: then, and then at the very end, Joker's literally killed all of his accomplices, got all the money, and off in a bus. And you're just like sitting there, just like, what happened? And then it goes to the next scene of like the mayor or something like that, right? Um, Just apart from themes, just take that. But but I mean, the you know. Uh, moral dilemmas, the moral quandaries, the the Joker's premise of it's all chaos. Yes,
0: and- that ties in, I think, with uh, Batman Begins again because yes. Ra's Ra's, Ra's, Ra's Ghul's yes. whole thing is Gotham humanity, essentially the West, because he's also kind of a terrorist type. Yeah, but Gotham, at least for limit well, limited to that, is fallen and must be destroyed. And Joker, similarly, is mankind is he's a nihilist. Yeah. You know, once the chips are down, these civilized people eat each other. All this stuff is fake, and I'll show it to you. I think yeah. he even tells Batman that. Yeah, he, he does. does yeah. I'll he show does. it to you. Yeah, so and that's the boat scene, basically. In different yeah. ways, both of them are saying mankind is irredeemable.
2: Yeah.
0: So, and it's not my observation originally, actually. Deacon Stephen Grodonis, I think, is the one who wrote something that on this. It's like almost like Sodom and Gomorrah with Batman, where oh, Batman man. is saying, look, there's good in Gotham still. There's mm-hmm. good in humanity still. You guys are wrong. Mm. And it's this interesting thing where both villains in their own different philosophical or whatever motivation they have yeah. are saying, look, Gotham's irredeemable and must be destroyed. Joker saying there was nothing in the first place. They're just animals pretending to be civilized. And right. Ra's Ghul al- yeah. saying, they're so corrupt, we need to just smite, like Sodom and Gomorrah, smite, smite them off the yeah. face of the earth. Wow.
2: Okay, correct me. Okay. Lord of the Rings, the the saving grace is grace, right? That, yes. that grace could actually work. Batman, however- like, would you see a more grace element in like Batman's? It seems to be like I have faith that at least it could be possible, right? But it's not. I have faith that it, I'm seeing it happen That's, through grace.
1: Father Mike Schmitz had a video on where he says, "Who is the form? Who is the ultimate Christian superhero?" Who's? Um, uh, spoiler alert: It was Captain America in the end. But I'll come over, to over it. Superman. Over Superman. Here's I'll, I'll tell you why he went through different heresies. So basically, Father Mike <laughs> Schmitz said in his analysis, Batman seems really close. Why is to the Christian symbolized like you work
0: to achieve the good? Actually, I have a theory about Batman. That I want to just stab in really quickly. Sure thing, yes, please. In Batman fact. is the picture of human virtue and human capabilities. Yes. He is the wealthiest and most powerful man by wealth. He can buy whatever he wants. Right. He pushes himself to the physical limit. Yeah. Without superpowers, mm. yet Gotham is still racked by criminals forever. Part of that right. is just so they can still sell comic That's, that's almost forever. like stoicism
1: in a sense. Yeah. That's Roman stoicism. I mean, yeah. so
0: he's like the picture of human virtue. He's combating evil all the time and pushing himself. But ultimately, ineffective. the dude is damaged right. himself and he's ineffective. He can't control evil.
1: Right. That's what exactly what Father Mike Schmidt said is exactly what you said. Oh. That Batman, he works to achieve the good human virtue, but there's no supernatural grace coming from within. And the reason why he said Captain America, the Superman, he said basically you have to become like God. Like Superman is like we become like God, but like become like actual, have superpowers and able to withstand everything. I don't, I don't know if he even mentioned Superman in the video, but I think it was more of Superman's an ultra powerful character and he, that he's inborn with the, uh, that's right he's already born with enough grace to persevere whereas we're not born we're that's why I think we're he's having. a very
0: Christological type he he's is. the son of Krypton that's sent to earth yes and he saves us and he has what we don't have to save yes us. I think
1: the uh, the Superman Returns under I think it's kind of underrated it was 2006 uh, oh, I saw it when I was very young Yeah, I, I remember, remember it they uh, they Emphasize that theme. They smacked you across <laughs> with it. I think literally Jor El said at one point, "This is my son who I gave to yeah, you." It's like is oh. my beloved son with yeah. whom I
0: am well pleased. Basically, <laughs> basically
1: that. And it had um, uh, the uh, Superman. I think Brandon Ruth was the actor in this one. Like he ha- like almost had a crystal lot. You know, had the crucifixion. Is the, oh cru- the crucifix position. Yeah, yeah. It's like okay, yeah, that's you hit us over the Maybe. head with that one. Um, hashtag Lewis be like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hashtag Lewis be like. Huh. But uh, I think that, uh, just real briefly, the reason why Captain America was a Christian superhero is because the super soldier serum is a lot like baptism. He was infused with something from the inside that didn't change him from the outside in. Like Iron Man, he puts on this iron... Armor of Irons, almost like grace is an armor around you, but really in baptism, grace makes an ontological change, and it gives you that superpower, hmm. and it gives you the ability to persevere. But Captain America still has to practice human virtue at the same time. He has to develop his moral nature. He can't just leave that serum alone. He has to actually use it. So that's why Captain America, according to Mike Smith, is the ultimate form of you know superhero. I think that's. But I think the reason why Batman is oftentimes we see him, I guess, as a more compelling character is because, like you said. I don't know. There's something weird about tragedies where le- yeah. in comedy like, okay, that's great. Like it satisfies us, but in tragedies there's something left open ended there. Like this didn't resolve the way we want it to. Batman is a sort of ongoing tragedy with a few comedies stretched yeah. in the middle. It's like Batman's like, he always fights. It's this never ending fight. And he's not able to, he, he just killed Joker. But anyway, that's a different story, but like he's never able to conquer his villains. He always strives. And there's something sad and tragic about that, I think that compels us more, like our more human nature to look at Batman and say, oh, that's why it's such a great movie because it shows what we think to be like real, quote unquote, real life. Like what real life is like, what our own experiences are rather than the judgment, like basically like end game. Whereas that like, that's the end, like evil is defeated. There we go. Boom, we're done with evil.
0: Until the next Spider-Man movie. Until the next Spider-Man movie,
1: literally. (laughs) But like we're done with this evil threat. And I think for us, the reason why we can't see that is because we haven't gone through the final judgment yet. Oh yeah. Mm. Until we go to the final judgment, we'll always be more attracted. I think this is my personal theory until we finally see the heavenly perfection, we will always be more compelled, not necessarily like, like more, but more compelled, I guess, by tragedies. Because it reflects our, our condition yeah, under like, this veil of tears. Yes, it does. Yeah. So that's, that's what I think. Yeah. It's
2: 820. Ooh. Do you, are, do you, do you we need th- to go by 830? Or? I think
1: so. Yeah, we can talk for a couple more minutes. There's, let's was wrap a, it up. Uh, yes. Let's end
2: it on that. Man, what a crazy podcast.
1: It was. At <laughs> first, we were talking like just nerding out. Then anyway, oh, we finally dude. tied it into one last thing to tie okay. in the beginning. Please, question was, please, please. Why does it appeal to Franciscan yeah, University yeah. students so much? I think the reason is all of the above. Like we talked about, there's something in these movies, there's something in these stories that appeals like whether it's be through like Jordan Peterson slash Joseph Campbell sort of way of looking at, okay, oh, these are the archetypes that we've formed over years of evolution or because Christ, I think this I think the ultimate point of it is that I think Bishop Barron said this after he, Bishop Barron interviewed Jordan Peterson one time and Bishop Barron had a reaction video. I think he said it in this video, but basically Jordan Peterson talks about these archetypes and these archetypes that we naturally have of these characters and that Christ is the ultimate fulfillment of those archetypes. And so that way people, you know, maybe people criticize the new Testament, you know, the atheist critics say, Oh, the reason why this Christ story is so popularized is because it just builds upon ancient myth. Right. And that's, there's just another myth. They say, but no, we say we agree wholeheartedly. Yes. He embraces all the archetypes, but that's because all the archetypes of the myths led to Christ, pointed to Christ and Christ word made flesh, literally the word of like Jordan Peterson has an interesting, like take on this, but I think it's true as well. Not theologically true, but humanly true. Whereas the word, i.e. our archetypes that we've developed over years that God had put in us, you know, in our material state, was suddenly become fulfilled. The word became flesh. The archetypes, the mythologies became real. That's one aspect of it. Of course, it doesn't cover the infinity of God as word, but it does. I think that's why it ultimately appeals to Franciscan students here because those superhero stories do Touch into that mythological aspect, which in turn pointed to Christ as the ultimate fulfillment of this archetypes.
2: Word became flesh, yes. dwelt among us, full of grace and, and truth. truth. Mm. We've beheld his glory. Glory is the only son of the Father. Mm. And if you believe in grace, there's a solution. To this, yes, right? there is. There it is. ends, there's. it terminates in heaven and in living the Christian life here on earth. And wow, I think we could really trace with all three of these, like with Batman with Star Wars with um yeah with Lord of the Rings like there are those who believe in grace and believe that cooperating with mm-hmm. God's will and believing in Christ can actually change the world and save souls and lead us to heaven mm-hmm. if you deny that then you're going to be a denethor you're yeah. going to be a, you know uh a gollum or or somebody like that so dang what a podcast boys Woo! wow this we covered so much Francesco, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Oh, you're podcast. welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I really hope to have you back too. I mean, we, oh, yeah. we have so much more. So we, much. We only scratched the surface. We did. Guys, we and only I,
1: scratched the surface of I these really movies. I really want to get into the Spider-Man trilogy because I think there's something, it's almost like, you have the Dark Knight Trilogy which is a great trilogy, and you have the Spider-Man Trilogy, which is the antithesis of that. So we're like, mm-hmm. this is like mm-hmm. an actual pizza Marvel movie. We're, time. Dropping,
0: we're dropping the um, teaser for the next podcast right. at it's the end. Teaser for the next time. Spider-Man or- will return on the yeah. Kellen and Alex show. Until <laughs> then, pizza
2: time, boys. All right. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Uh, we'll catch you on the next one. Uh, we sh- we're- Tomorrow, we're having Jerry on the podcast going to be talking about cults. And uh, so that's going to be really interesting. We're gonna talking Waco, a bunch of jones stuff and yeah it's gonna be wild so that's coming tomorrow also gonna to be having claudio on the podcast on tuesday talking about dating at franciscan <laughs> <laughs> so we're gonna wish him good luck much grace much prayers francesca thanks for being on the podcast with us. uh with us that's gonna wrap it up thanks so much for listening peace out guys